How many of you read First Thessalonians this week? Let me see, or you've read it, not maybe this week, but you've read First Thessalonians. Let me see your hand. Wow. Wow. Well, I encourage you to read as we preach this sermon or this series of sermons this year uh, from the uh, writings of the Apostle Paul, the 13 epistles that he wrote. So, and God spoke to us and uh, spoke to the early church. And uh, we'll be studying this chronologically. And of course, uh, we understand that the first Writings that he wrote was First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, and we'll go from there. But we encourage you to read those and read along with those the history, and you'll find a copy of that in the foyer uh, on the welcome at the, at the welcome center. So we encourage you to do that and study along with us. And what I'd like to do this morning, if you will allow me, is to read the entire fifth chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I want to read it with the uh, message. And uh, it's not that long, so read along with me as God texts us today, okay? Here we go. Paul said, I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question of when all this is going to happen. And he just gave an account of the rapture of the church In chapter 4, you know as well as I that the day of the master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. About the time everybody's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we've sure got it made. Now we can't, now we can take it easy. Suddenly everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and inescapably as birth pangs to a pregnant woman. But friends, you're not in the dark. So how could you be taken rather off guard by any of this? You're sons of light and daughters of day. Say amen. We live under wide open skies and know where we stand. Again, amen. So let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. I did not know what to name this sermon, and I named it or put there the way God wants you to live. We could have said, don't be sleepwalking, or we could have said, don't be zombies. It's probably a good title that we could use today as much as it's being used. But God is writing, or Paul is writing this as God gives instructions for how we should live. I personally want to know how to live as a believer, as a Christian, where I can enjoy the benefits of the God I serve and receive all that he has for us. By the way, if you'd like to re- a copy of the outline, raise your hand and Brother Steve will make sure that you get one. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we are creatures of day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope, he says, of salvation. God didn't set us up for an anger rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. 
He died for us, a death that triggered life. Whether we, I love this, whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we're alive (laughs) with him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know you're already doing this, just keep on doing it. Then watch what he says, the way he wants us to live. Now, friends, we ask you to honor those leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Notice what he says here. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. God, get rather along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. <laughs> I like that one. Gently, gently encourage the stragglers and reach out to the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each other, attended to individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Eugene Peterson has a way of putting it, doesn't he? Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Don't suppress the spirit. The King James, I believe, says don't quench the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep on and watch good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. I love that. If he said it, he'll do it. Friends, keep up your prayers for us. Greet all the Christians there with a holy embrace and make sure this letter gets read to all the brothers and sisters. Don't leave anyone out. The amazing grace of Jesus Christ be with you and may God add his blessings certainly to the reading of his word. Notice what we have as the introduction. Very, very important. Read along with me on your notes. The final chapter of 1 Thessalonians gives a series of admonitions instructing the Christians how to live in the light of Christ's coming. Some in the church were living carelessly. Some were not respecting their church leaders and some were abusing the public services. The admonitions point out how the local church can live and it can live in harmony and it can live in purity. Paul presents a series of contrasts here between the Christians and the lost as he says, be watchful. First of all, this series of contrasts starts off with light and darkness. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, having there the Gentiles understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. 
This is talking about being darkened in the knowledge when it comes to the knowledge of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And this is where we are today. Let me read that again because Paul writes to the church at Ephesus this very important verse. He says, having there and the Gentiles understand and darken, being alienated from the life of God. Talking about the contrast between light and darkness. This is the darkness because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So he's talking about light and darkness. John 3 chapter, I I, I love this description, how God and John writes concerning how men love darkness rather than light. And this is the condemnation, John says, that the light is coming to the world and men love darkness. Why? Rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Powerful scripture today. Light and darkness. Chapter 8, verse 12 of St. John. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And this is where God desires that we be. Not, not in darkness, not confused, not blinded, but open and, and certainly uh, alert to what's happening in the world today. It is amazing to me the many that does not see what is happening to America. It's amazing to me that many do not see what is happening to their own lives. And it's like sleepwalking or walking certainly in darkness. 2 Corinthians uh, talks about in verse 6 of chapter 4, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do we have the scripture? Yeah. Let me read it again. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, it's talking about knowledge. It's talking about knowing. And then Colossians, and this is the last one concerning this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Amen. I'm glad, aren't you? God has delivered you and I from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. We no longer walk in darkness, live in darkness, but we are children of light. Christ's coming as far as the world is concerned will be sudden and unexpected. It'll be like a thief in the night. The scripture describes it. 
That's for the laws, but for, but not so for the believer. Christians, you and I certainly belong to the day and we live in the light and we live knowing what's happening in the world. Amen. And certainly we are ready for Christ to come. Why? Because our lives are not immoral. Our lives are regulated and guided by the holy word of God, not an immoral life. Then not only is there the contrast between light and darkness, there's the contrast between knowledge and ignorance. Satan likes to keep people in the dark. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. To open the, their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness or from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Christ as he is speaking to the church today that we've been delivered from the power of darkness and we, and, and, and ignorance. And we're living in a time when people are supposed to be very smart and very educated, yet we see ignorance so much today when it comes to the spiritual things of God. You have the knowledge and the ignorance. Satan desires to keep people in the dark. But God's people are aware of the time. We know. You say, preacher, you're bragging? No. I just believe that God's word reveals to us where we are, what's happening in our lives, and we don't have to be in the dark. One of the greatest writers that I certainly enjoy uh, reading behind is A.W. Tozer. And uh, I'm supposed to have his, what he says here somewhere. I like it's writing anyway. Let me read you what he says. It is modern man himself who is the dreamer. And we're talking about sleepwalking. We're talking about people that's in ignorance. We're talking about people that don't know, yet the believer, God's people, they know. And they understand. And I believe, and I believe everyone that knows anything about the Bible believes that we're living in the last days and we can see what's not only happening to America, but what's happening to the world. Ada Betozer says it this way, it is modern man himself who is the dreamer. He's talking about children of light, people that know. We of the Christian faith need not go on the defensive for it is the modern man of the world who is a dreamer, not the Christian believer. Follow me now, stay with me. The sinner can never be quite himself. All of his life he must pretend. He must act as if he were never going to die. And yet he knows too well that he is. He must act as if he had not sinned when in his deep heart he knows very well that he has and he does sin. 
He must act unconcerned about God and judgment and future life. And all the time, his heart is deeply disturbed about his precarious caution condition. He must keep up a front of nonchalance while shrinking from facts and wincing under the lash of conscience. And that's, that's why we, 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 where we are in our society today is because we try to hide all this. We are no longer see people that are real or try to be real. We try to hide behind a facade. All his adult life, the unbeliever, he must dodge and hide and conceal. When he finally drops the act, he either loses his mind or tries suicide. Real quiet, but it's true. And that's the reason we see so much ungodliness, immorality. What was it, just, uh, just this, this week out in one of the schools, there was a young lady that killed the, a young girl and then killed herself. Why is that? Why is so much of this happening today? Because we are not real. Because we hide behind a facade and, and we don't serve God as we should. He goes on to say, if realism is the recognition of things as they actually are, the Christian is of all persons the most realistic. He, of all intelligent thinkers, is the one most concerned with reality. He pairs things down to their stark essentials and squeezes out of his mind everything that inflates his thinking. He demands to know the whole truth about God, about sin, about death. I'm talking about the believer. Look at the difference. Not only about death, but but about moral accountability and the world to come. You think about you think the world thinks about this? Let me read it again. He demands to know the whole truth about God. What about it? Do you see much about God on television? About sin? You see sin. Life, death, and moral accountability in the world to come. He wants the believer to know the worst about himself in order that he may do something about it. Tozer goes on to say he takes into account the undeniable fact that he has sinned. It is a great relief when we as human beings recognize that we were created in sin and that we are sinners and that we come to Jesus Christ, we confess those sins, we accept his forgiveness and then and only then are we free. And that's what the world needs. And they don't know it. They try everything else. They look at every, every other way to satisfy that deep longing in their hearts. And they fail to accept the fact that we were created in God's image. And the only thing that will satisfy us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He recognizes the believer, the shortness of time and the certainty of death. 
Do we fear death? No. Do we stand around, sit around, talk about death, think about death all the time? No. But we know we're going to die. And we better be ready. We better be prepared. And that's what happens to the world. They, they don't think about these things. They, think, they act like they're going to live forever. There is an eternity waiting. And the believer knows that. These, he does not try to avoid or alter to his own liking. They are facts and he faces them full on. Good stuff. The last sentence. The believer is a, re- is a realist. His expectations are valid and his faith well grounded. Not for the lost. We're not sleepwalking. We're not walking around saying, hey, everything's fine. I don't know as I hear any of the presidential candidate saying anything about this nation in $19 trillion worth of debt. You may have heard it. I haven't heard it. We're in trouble. (laughs) And I'm not a pessimist and I don't believe in just looking down and saying, hey, but America needs to righten the ship and righten it through and by certainly Jesus Christ. Expectancy and surprise is the the other contrast. The world lives with false security. We're secure in our sin. The world lives with carelessness. We're playing with the most valuable thing in the world and that's our soul. It is important that we understand that God Almighty has set things in order and we must abide by those. Those that are of the day are to be awake and not only awake, but to be prepared. Are you ready? Are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready if if God calls you today? I hadn't thought about it, Brother Don. I don't think about it. I'm just gonna get out of here and go do my thing today, tomorrow, and the next day. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not looking... At, at, at the negatives. I've just believed that God's people are prepared and they are ready. The other contrast is soberness and drunkenness. Sleeping. This sleeping refers to moral indifference. How, Im, how immoral can we get today? He talks about being drunk. It's a metaphor for those who do not exercise moral control. Good preaching, Brother Don. Be watchful. Number two, be respectful to your leaders. Christians should accept their leaders. They should honor their leaders. And the only way you can honor your leader is to get to know them. The reason Antoinette could say what she'd said this morning is because she knows me. You know you need to... Not only to accept the leader, you need to honor that leader, to know that leader. You're to love the leader, the ones that God has placed here. And we need to express that love. It's like our husband or wife. We need to love them, but we need to express that love. And we need to express that love to the leaders that God has placed to uh, encourage us, to uh, challenge us, to exhort us. 
and to minister. We should follow the leader, certainly, certainly as they follow Jesus Christ. We're to be watchful. We're to be respectful to our leaders. We're to be mindful of one another. Now, notice this sentence. Look at it. A church must be one of partnership with each other, doing his or her share of the work. Did I just read something? Let's see what I read here. A church must be one of partnership with each member. Everybody. That's part of the church. Not just the whole church, but the local church. Each member doing his or her share of the work. In other words, God said, don't be lazy. The lazy man says there's a lion in the street. Every once in a while, my wife and I will be getting ready to do something. She's more of a, 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 a positive thinker, and I'm pessimistic, and she's positive, and I'll say, she said, I just don't know that we can, we can, we can do that. We had our grandchildren over yesterday, and, and we had Neil with us, and we have Neil and, and, and Ashley and, and uh uh, Lily and and they have these little easy riders, and they're they're pretty big little things, and so we had to get everybody in the car, and they the parents left the easy rider with the with the grandchildren, and uh, we had to put the wheelchair in the back, we had to put the walker in the back, we had to put other things in the back, and Carol said we've got to get the easy rider. I said they won't go in here. By then I was upset and just don't, it won't go in here. Guess what? We pulled out of that garage with those easy riders in that car. <laughs> but the lazy man, the person's always, oh, I, I see a line every time. You know, oh, there's a line in the street and I'm not going to go out. That's an imaginary line. L I O N. God's people says it can be done. That's a natural thing and I need to work on that but the important thing is a spiritual thing. We need to build a church or it can't be done. We got ready to build this church and we had our meeting to start building. We met out here uh, before this was built over here and we didn't have a lot of people. I just don't know about that. just don't know. Uh, Building this building It's going to cost $560,000 back in 1996. I just don't know whether we can do that or not. Our crowds, our size is not that much. And and I just don't know. And and people was wondering about it. You're sitting in it, aren't you? (laughs) We've got less than a year. It's all going to be paid off. Should have had two or three shouting down the aisles. You know, I don't know. Aren't you glad that we get out of debt? That's that's a good. That's a good one. That's good. So how are you going to do it? Well, we'll raise five hundred thousand dollars worth of bonds. Oh my God! And we'll raise a hundred and we'll take up one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. What? We did it. 
We raised $500,000 with bonds and we took up $150,000. Oh, but I don't know that we can do all that. You can do it if you have faith in God. And if we're not careful, that's what the Bible is saying here. He said, uh, every member do his part. Don't loaf around with the idol. Listen, if you sit around with people that's all they see is lines in the street and they're idle and they're lazy, you're going to become that way. Don't loaf around with the idol. Warn them. That's what Paul said. Warn them. Get on with it. Let's get the things done for God. Let's win the lost at any cost. Don't yell at the timid and weak. Now, you've got to know the difference. Some are idle and they're lazy. Then some are weak and discouraged and they need encouragement. You've got to know the difference. Warn, the, law, uh, warn the, the lazy and the idle and encourage the weak and the feeble. Yes. It's important. Good stuff that Paul's writing about. How many of you know this is what the church needs to understand? And we need to be obedient, not only read it, but be obedient to them. Warn those who are lazy. Encourage people. Encourage them. You ever watch a basketball game? You ever watch a basketball game? They send this guy to the free, free throw line and he's up there and, and he shoots that ball whether he makes it or don't make it. They walk up behind him and pat him. It's true. They're encouraging him. They're encouraging him. He can make the free. That's what, and, and if the church would encourage brothers and sisters, each other like, like sports folks do, it would be amazing. You take a runner. He's out running and he's almost getting to the, uh, to, to the finish line and he's give completely out and there's hundreds of people cheering him on and he gets energy because people are cheering him on and boy, he sprints to the end. And if, if we would do that, if the church would see a brother or sister that's low and discouraged and down, rather than criticize them, they could walk up and hit them on the shoulder and said, hey, you can make it. You can do it. Encourage them. There's not a one of us that don't get discouraged sometimes. And we need encouraging. And that's what Paul is saying. Most people that's lazy and idle don't care. Warn them. Those people that's weak and feeble, get discouraged, encourage them. Cheer them on. You can do it. You can do it. Good stuff. Be thankful. Not only be mindful of one another, be thankful. I've got there, look at the adverbs. What does it say? Pray always. Be thankful in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. God wants us certainly to be thankful. And then I'm going to finish and my time is gone. Look at number five. Be careful in worship. Be careful in worship. Paul here endorses Tested, proven, and validated charismatic activities. He's talking about prophesying. 
If the, if, and I'm going to close with this, Sister Judy. If there ever was a time that the church needs or needed the manifestation of the Spirit of God, it's today. God, help us not to be a church that distance itself from the gifts of the Spirit. Help us to be a church that knows, and he speaks specifically concerning prophecy. You say, but Brother Don, all that brings confusion. Well, he gives clear directions in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. Clear. But he's saying something here. He said, don't quench the spirit. Don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. I think we need Holy Ghost and fire, don't you? We used to sing a song, amen. That's a good place to clap. We sung a song, it's the Holy Ghost and fire that keeps me alive. It's a fire that burns out the dross and burns out the things that shouldn't be there. But he says here, Paul says, don't put out the fire. Don't quench. To quench carries the idea of dampening the flame of the Holy Spirit. Don't smother the gifts. This is, the Spirit is poured out. Look at what it does. To purify to enlighten, to warm, to melt, and to consume. I would say we need that in the church today more than ever before. Let me say those again. It means to purify. God help the church, God's believers, to be pure and holy. And we can't do it in ourselves, but we can do it through and by the word of God and the spirit of God that is manifested. The only way it will work that if it's, if it's manifested and doing something, we need that purity. We need that enlightenment. Oh God. Not only enlightenment, but we need the warmth of the spirit of God. People need to come into the church and and sense that warmth. We need to go to the grocery store and people come in contact with us and talk to us and feel and sense there's something special and warm about that individual. We need to be enlightened. We need to be warm. We need to melt that old cold ice. We need to melt that hard heart. We need to be removed from all of these things and then we need to be consumed by the Spirit of God. Oh God, more of you and less of me. Consume the carnality. Consume the flesh and let the Spirit of God live and be active in our midst. Quenching might either be by inadequate or chill response. But, notice what Jack Hayford says, or 
exaggerated, disruptive response. You can chill the moving of the Spirit either way, either rejecting it, not receiving it, and it's, there's more gifts than prophecy. The nine gifts of the Spirit is the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of the discerning of spirits, the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, the gift of healing, the gift of, of tongues, an interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. Those nine gifts are for us today. And we shortchange us. We shortchange the church if they're not active in the church. Oh, Brother Don, that's just old-fashioned preaching. It's just as current as your newspaper is, as if you would go to your smartphone and pull up in it. It's just as current that we have the manifestation of the Spirit of God. And it needs to be other than just in the public arena. They need to be active in our own lives. God, fill us. How long has it been since you've been refilled with the Holy Ghost? How, has it ever been where you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost with speaking in tongues? Brother Don, that's just old-fashioned stuff, is it? No, it's not. It's biblical. It's for us 2016. He says, don't quench. Don't stop it. Don't stifle it. Don't put out that fire because that fire will bring revival. That fire will purify. That fire will set you free from anything that's, that's had you bound. We parade people around and we talk about being delivered from alcohol and drugs and all of these things. God's Holy Ghost can deliver anyone that's bound. Doesn't matter what drug it is. Doesn't matter what ever is binding them. God has set us free. I got to hush. Father, we love you. Father, help us to hear these instructions that the Apostle Paul gives us. Help us to hear what thus saith the Lord. Lord, this is not Paul or Don or somebody else. Lord, you're speaking to the church today. Help us to understand, dear God, we need to be watchful. God, if we're sleepwalking, wake us up. Give us a shot of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Give us a refilling, Lord. Renew our relationship with you today. Oh, Lamb of God, we pray. God, not only help us to be watchful, but help us to be respectful for our leaders, to our leaders. Not be critical, find fault, but pray for them. Help us to be mindful of one another. Help us to look on our brothers and sisters as our brothers and sisters. Help us to look on each other with tenderness and love, that agape love. God, help us not only to be watchful, to be respectful and mindful, but help us to be thankful. We're living in a world, a society, a culture that is no longer thankful. We want more and more and more and more. And if somebody...
promises us more and more and more. That's what we like. But help us to be thankful for what we have. Help us not only to be watchful and to be respectful and be mindful and be thankful, but help us to be careful in our worship. Help worship to be worship. Help it to be anointed. Help it, dear God, to be full of your Holy Spirit. Help our preaching, dear God, to be anointed. God, may we preach what thus saith the Lord. And may the words, may they be life that we might live. May they be your words, O Lamb of God. God, we believe it today.